Hey, Shane, this is Mac, and if you, uh, you want to give me a holler back as soon as I got the, all of the flight information, I will give it to your ass. And there it's EIS. Telling you, bro, what's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more Peggy O's? Everybody, Shane Terrio here. Welcome back to the Riff Raff. Thanks for tuning in, taking a moment of your day. Hopefully it's an enjoyable one. And I'm doing great, thanks for asking. You're listening to a tune called Mean Old Man. And it's a project I'm involved in called Le Combo Power Trio with Jurgen Carlson from Government Mule on bass and Toss Panos, drummer with Lukather and... Mike Landau and all these great players. And um, just a little fun we had. No click tracks, no auto-tune. Check it out. It's at shaneterrio.com if you like it. I wanted to try something today, a little different format on Riff Raff. And um, since we've got like 46 episodes, I don't know. I just thought off the top of my head I would go way, way back to some of their first six or seven and just pull some stories from them and um, see what you guys think of this format it's a little shorter I'm not stopping the podcast it's just there's so many nuggets in here I wanted to sort of extract and, and ha- add a little backstory to so I hope you like this format and as always subscribe to the podcast I really appreciate the support check out the t-shirts all that stuff's on my website, shaneterrio.com. Hit me up on Instagram, YouTube. All right, enough. Hope you enjoy it. Clip number one is one of my favorites. It's taken from episode two with John Schofield. During this time, um, I was living in New York and John was my neighbor and we got to be pretty close friends and we're still good friends. Uh, Anyway, this particular day he came over to Jam and I asked him about playing over a tune called Protocol, his approach, which is playing outside. And um, it's some classic Schofield phrasing in this, this just this little clip. I wish the audio was better. It was one of my early episodes, but I think you'll enjoy it. And here's how it went down. This is a long time ago. 
obviously I didn't know you then, but there was a clinic I went to once and you were playing uh, Protocol. And somebody asked you, well, no, some, you weren't playing, but somebody asked you the question. He said, how do you play over, you know, Protocol when it's, you know, what's, there's no key center. Like, how, what are you thinking about when you play it? And you said, well, can you play the riff? And the guy said, yeah. And he'd go, okay, well, tell me when I hit a wrong note. <laughs> and he started playing over it. And uh -huh. it was just like, you know, it was a big lesson in phrasing and, you know, the way you, you build tension and the release, uh -huh. and, you know. Uh, well, you know, moving the stuff around uh, and, and not just playing in, in, in one key. But it's not like, I don't know, you just get good at being free. And this stuff, I, I, I did it in kind of fusion contexts in the 70s. And to people, it sounded somewhat new, I guess. But uh, it really came from jazz and from the 60s jazz musicians that got really great at that when Coltrane came in and they started to play over vamps, you know. And, and uh, well, it really started with Miles with Count of Blue, you know, where they would play in one key, you know. But those are more modal vamps you're talking those about. Those are modal. Protocol is, is but I don't know if protocol I'm is, right, Yeah, it's over that... Is that right? Yeah, but see, I think of that as all G. Well, how would you play with it? I don't think of the chain. I don't think of playing. Uh, G yeah. what now? G, G anything? Yeah, but I won't. Well, I wouldn't play in. I, I would either play in G or play my shit where I move it around. You Clip number two is with Dweezil Zappa, taken from episode eight. Um, this day, this whole week when this was recorded, actually, Dweezil and I were doing a guitar workshop in Montana, and we were doing a class together, and we had some time off, and we were hanging in this cabin just jamming, and uh, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to get him on the riffraff. So um, this is a great interview if you ever want to check out the whole thing, if you haven't already. There's some really great stories in it. And this is just one that I just happened to pull. And it's Dweezil talking about the first time he met Eddie Van Halen, making a record with his, his band, um, and how Dweezil, I'm sorry, how Eddie went to the uh, talent show and coached the band. It's pretty pretty great story. Here we go. Um, I started playing guitar when I was 12. The first thing I ever recorded was a song called My Mother's a Space Cadet mm -hmm. with the flip side, Crunchy Water. And somehow or another, my dad, uh, convinced Edward Van Halen to produce this thing 
but he wasn't able to have credit for it because of his record contract. So it says Devards, produced by Devards. Where'd that name come from? I don't know. Did it's your something, dad make that name? No, that was something from uh, Van Halen because uh, it was Don Landy, the engineer who did ah. uh, the original Van Halen stuff, and it was Edward Van Halen. Those were oh, the two guys. Yeah. So it was the Devards. Uh, so we were, you know, everybody that played on that uh, was 12 years old, except for we brought in a different drummer because our drummer, uh, Edward Van Hill, was like, yeah, we got to get somebody that can play a little bit better than this. You know, so, <laughs> the drummer's always the first guy to get replaced. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> it turned out to be Warren Cucarulo's brother, Jay Cucarulo, and so he was about 18 or 20 at the time, and we were all 12. So Eddie Van Halen is trying to figure out how to work with us in the studio because none of us have ever been in the studio. It's all analog, so you know we don't know anything about punching in or any of that kind of stuff. So we got this massive lesson in, in recording recording technology, the, all the process <laughs> of everything. But I just I remember Edward just scratching his head saying, what am I supposed to do with you guys? Give you a milk and cookie break? Or, you know, it's like, you know. Uh, Did but, you walk in with like a case of Heineken back then? Uh, uh, at the time, I think there was some Heineken involved, you know, uh, but it was, um, it was just this surreal thing of, I had been listening to a ton of Van Halen and then out of nowhere he calls, comes over, and then within a month later we're recording the song, you know. <laughs> same time I was doing a school talent show and uh, we me and the other guys that were in this you know band that that recorded on this we were gonna play running with the devil and uh, so somehow or another he ends up going to the sound check of this talent show now imagine this uh, at that time there he's the biggest guitarist rock star in the world yeah and he just comes to a school you know like in the late afternoon like three o'clock and he's in the school auditorium you know checking out our band playing running with the devil and so we, I was playing the wrong chord and he came up behind me and so the guitar is uh, on my shoulders but he stands behind me and he plays the guitar so I have guitar player perspective to see because I was uh, playing something like, um, you know, the riff is... Right. So, and I think I must have been doing... I wasn't getting... That was even closer than I came. I yeah. think I went... Uh, where are you? You're in the... That's the way I did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I missed the... Well, so the, I, I was not getting this 
note in this part. Right. I got like. Oh, that's a different. You were still closer than me. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, you got that, and you got that. Yeah. <laughs> but I missed. You know, I had this. But I didn't have the other one, so it was it was funny because uh, you know he came up and said, "Oh, you know, you got to play it like this," and so it was another one of those epiphany moments, like, "Oh, that's how you do yeah, it," you know. Light bulb, yeah. And of course, you know, I was nowhere near uh, catching the phrasing on the the verse with all the stuff that uh, that he did so great, all those fills with the harmonics and you know, right. all those you know, uh, all that stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah. All the dynamics and all that stuff, you know. But it what was funny was that he played most of the song um, uh, with the band, so it was like he was obviously the best one in the band, you know. But uh, <laughs> so did you win the talent show? Uh, I don't even remember that part. You had I just to remember I mean, if Eddie came to the talent show as a coach <laughs> and support, man. Come I on. do remember that part. But the one thing that was also pivotal was uh, he always did the best pick slides, hands down. He was like yeah. the pick slide wizard, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, but he would always do one where it would start over here on the neck and then it would go down, you know, so, yeah. you know, with this sound, you can't get the, you know, know. Uh, you can't get the, the but so to see how he would do the pick slide uh, maneuver, that made a big difference too, um, because, you know, you'd hear it and you go, how is he doing that? Mm -hmm. And it, just, it sounded like a jet plane taking off. <laughs> All right, episode three was with George Porter from The Meters, legendary bass player. We had been in a studio together working on something for an artist, and I cornered George in the back room, and we, uh, I got him on the riffraff. And here he's sharing some gems about um, what he looks for in a drummer, which I thought is really great advice for any musician, even us guitar players, or if you're a, a drummer, it's golden. And then we played a tune together called People Say, just a little jamming. And hope you enjoy it. That This is another must check out if you haven't already. Here we go. So George, if I, you know, for like drummers or something listening, I mean, what do you, you know, you played with Zig, but you played with a lot of great drummers, man, besides Zig. What do you look for in a drummer? Because, you know, down here in New Orleans, where we are right now, you know, it's a town full of great drummers. But what, what do you look for when you call somebody? What makes a great drummer that you like to play with? Well, you know, outside the fact of that, you know, just being able to, to time is, is essence. You know, a, a great, what makes a great drummer is that he has great timing, you know, uh, and that no matter what he says in his fills, he always know where one is. Yeah. You know, so that that means that the drummer has to, you know, has to be on top of, um, you know, his game, and that's, you know, that's something that I look for. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like it's the most important. I think the most important thing to, that if when you're looking at drummers is the is the is the first of all know, um, you know, their abilities to to keep time, right, and 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 always know where one is, you know, because you know it's it's important that no matter how many. You know, you know they got a bunch of really drum, great drummers out there. They got chops and everything, sure. 
and uh, and 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 but you know they'll make fills and change the tempo, you know, right. <laughs> or, yeah. or, or move it, you know, because sort of you know they, they just made one of these great drum fills, you know, really great drum fills, but he moved the tempo, you know, oh, yeah, you know, and that's you know that's 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 important that um that that the I think that's important for me. I mean, that's the first thing I look at is how well he can sit on the time. You know, I mean, you know, like, like a lot of guys, you know, uh, um, you know, and exactly music itself, you know, the drummer is the guardian of the groove. He has to be the guy that holds the pocket down. He has to be the one that keeps us from rushing because as whenever we play in these licks, we can have, we can move time, you know, we can move the time, you know, and it's not necessarily that we want to do it, but it, it, we do, we do do it. And so it's important that the drummer has control of that. You know, he knows that, all right, I got y'all, you know, <laughs> here, listen to me, you know, and that's important, yeah. The unison lines that you and Leo did together, like, I, I mean, just off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, yeah. so like that. Like, can we play that together? Oh, so, yeah. uh, so, uh, three, four. Yeah, so I'm a little sloppy with that. that, that. In the way you turn it around. Yeah. Then it goes to E. iconic frigging line right there man all right good stuff there my last clip and certainly not least just off the top of my head one of my faves um from episode nine warren Martini from rat warren happened i was in la this time i was playing with hall and oats and warren had come to the show he's been to quite a few shows since i've been in the band and um picked me up the next day and drove me around Hollywood and showed me all the places where rats started where he wrote round and round the apartment that they all lived in the one bedroom apartment this particular clip he's talking about uh, when he and Jakey Lee lived together in the early days and um, I'll, I'll let him tell the story but um, it's a great episode and Warren doesn't do a lot of interviews you may have noticed and this is a good one so check it out if you haven't already the full thing all right here we go so yeah uh that those uh 
Jake stays up all night playing guitar and and, uh, quickly adapted to that. So we would, uh, you know, be watching a a really, you know, fuzzy, you know, black and white TV reruns of some show, not even paying attention. Just he'd be working on what would end up being Bark at the Moon and I was chipping away at the cores round and round. Wow. and, And both sort of sitting on the floor, their backs against the couch and... I mean, this was the routine. You wow, know, man. Like, um, That's, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall there. We had no idea that that these songs, what these ideas we were, we were just playing. You know, just weird. I had a Charvel, kind of a mutt Charvel that I, you know, put together from secondhand parts, and uh, Jake had his white. Well, it wasn't white yet. It was still the sunburst. Um, <laughs> Fender Strat, yeah. unplugged. You know what I mean. But you can hear it. You can hear it well when nothing. I mean, you know, TV yeah. is super low if, yeah. it, if the sounds on at all. And we just, you know, you're just playing. You can hear it fine. Um, but it's not waking the neighbors up or anything. And uh, you know, it's it's like we were chipping away at songs that were gonna be heard. You know. Yeah, man. Bark at had, the moon and round and round. I definitely shedded both of those. Yeah, he's like, that's the you should you should that's a good one. You should you know work on you know keep working on that and then he's doing the riff to like you know bark at the moon or or, you know yeah bark at the moon when we were shooting the pictures for the out of the cellar album cover to bark at the moon debuted on klos and that's what was playing in the in the photo studio yeah they just had klos on wow new track for you know it was good old uncle joe benson and you know new track from ozzy Lee, you know, hometown guy, you know, and it's just like, I was like, oh my God. That's surreal, man. You're doing your photo shoot for your record and yeah. then your buddy Jake's songs on the radio. That's pretty cool. So yeah. both you guys, it was a, it proved to be a good move. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so we did, you know, to answer your question, yeah, we did, we did uh, jam a lot and well, we didn't jam. It was just like, we was just quietly working on our own stuff. But right, you know, right, we just just sitting there and living. And I moved, moved around a bit. And then um, we moved into this place, which we're, we're getting close to here. We're on uh, Robertson Crossing Pico. And uh, it's coming up here. I haven't seen it in a while. But for for a little while, uh, later, you know, later that year, this was like when I when I was when I joined up. Like I said, it was in the fall of '82. Uh, moved in. Robin, Stephen, and I got moved into this little apartment down here in Culver City. Or no, it was National City, and um, it was just a one-bedroom apartment. Had a kitchen, a little tiny. So three of you guys are living in one-bedroom apartment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and. I you know I just had had a my practice amp and uh, my guitar and I would just uh, you know work on 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 I you know I'd plug in at some point during the day you know and start work you know just playing and uh, and Stephen and Robin were like what's that and it's like oh, they got these you know it's this part I've been working on and then we all sort of gathered around in a circle and um, you know I had the verse and the solo section I think and uh, yeah the verse solo section and the chorus chords 
looped around and around, and then Robin had the, I knew right from the beginning part. Mm. And, and so within, I don't know, 15, 30 minutes, we had, there it was, man, you know, it's, you know, so I'm sitting in my practice amp, Robin's sitting on his, Steven's just standing there kind of scouting along, going, you know, no, do that, you know, to double that part, that kind of stuff. And then Robin's like, ah, you, you know, be, I got this other song, make a perfect pre-chorus to this, you know, and, uh, it might okay. I think it's. it's so you warm. haven't been here in a long time. Huh? We're getting warm. So that you know, there there it was. Round and round was born, <laughs> or most of it was born. All right, straight from the man himself. And that's just off the top of my head, a few clips. I wanted to keep this one short, like 20 minutes-ish. Let me know what you think of this shorter format for maybe a few of the Riff Raff episodes. I think it uh, gives a little bit of an extra slant on it. And as always, I appreciate your support. And, you know, check out the Riff Raff t-shirts on shaneterrio.com. There's some snazzy little designs. Hit me up on uh, my YouTube channel, which I'm trying to build a little more these days. And um, there's a lot of merch and stuff on my website, shaneterrio.com. I want to give a shout out to some people that have really supported the podcast that I appreciate. Jeff Boney, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing all the names, Jenny Blair, Jude Rierson, Ray Ellender, Carl Donahue, Mike Jones, Elizabeth Dunn, Jeff Bollert, and Hetty Wilhelmson. I really appreciate all your support, and you guys are above and beyond. Thank Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thanks so much. See you next time.